Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. The parables that Jesus describes, or the stories that Jesus describes, where he uses fruit as an illustration, hit us a, a lot closer to home than, than many others. I grew up in Ohio, where our fruit trees were, were apple trees, uh, planted by this guy that walked around with a pot on his head, um, but we didn't have much more than apple trees. We, we had the black walnuts. I guess you could count those. And the only reason I knew about the black walnut trees was because it fell on the ground. And if you picked it up, it, it'd stain your hand and stain your clothes. And, and mom would get mad at us for coming in with stains all over our jeans. Um, but here in the valley, we're just surrounded by a ton of fruit, a ton of fruit. And if you're anything like me, you recognize the trees by the fruit that they have. Now, some of you may be more familiar with the trees and, and can identify them with the leaves or even the bark or the stumps or the bud. Um, but for us simple folk, it, it's the fruit. Um, so if I were to put this tree up there, what kind of tree is that? Uh, we don't know. That tree is identified by its fruits. And it's a whole lot easier to identify these kind of fruits than the fruit from this tree. But does this tree look familiar? Yeah, that's our logo. The tree is our logo. And so the, the tree, uh, this logo is representative of the congregation here in Visalia. So can we recognize that tree by looking at its fruits? The same way we would recognize the fruits of an apple, of a pear, of a plum, of an apricot, of a pluot, of a nectarine, of a, of a peach, of a, I mean, I don't even want to get into the citrus, right? There, there's so many different fruits. They all look kind of similar, but they all look kind of different. But we will recognize ourselves by our fruit, and this is both on an individual and a collective basis. And let's look again this morning with me on Jesus' use of fruits. We're pretty familiar with Matthew chapter 7, and in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus uh, concludes this little section, or we think of it as a conclusion, but it's really he just rolls into the next point. Uh, with, with this phrase, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And if you join me in Matthew chapter 7, we'll spend a little bit of time here. And I'm not going to belabor the point because Cliff just did an excellent series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but I want to pull out a, a look at this text a little different. So if you join me in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15 here, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so when I was discussing and when I was using that term, you will recognize them by their fruits, I wasn't necessarily using it in a negative connotation. But is that what Jesus is getting across here? Who's he talking about? He's talking about false prophets. These false prophets that Jesus is discussing in this great sermon. Um, he, he's contrasting the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees with the righteousness that his followers are to have. And he uses this term false prophets. And this starts going into the, this, this monologue about fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So when we step back and we think of the world outside of us, we can recognize their fruits. We can recognize their false prophets. We can recognize that they are not a prophet. 
that Jesus wants. So who is the false prophet? Continue on with me um, in, in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this is kind of an interesting story, but what connection does it have with the fruits? How does this tie in with the false prophets and the fruits? Well, Jesus isn't done with the sermon illustration. Continue on in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Again, the question that we need to ask is how does this wise man and foolish man's story have to do with fruit. And the connecting thought through this entire principle, or these entire stories, is the word do. The Greek word is poieo. It's this concept of of doing things. If you look all the way back in 712, uh, Jesus introduced this section with the golden rule. The golden rule is, so whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. We see it in 721, that the one who does God's will, the one who versus the one who does not uh, do God's will. We see it in verse 24 that those he who hears these words of mine and does them is like the one who builds his house on the rock. He who hears the words of mine and does not do them is like the one who builds his house upon the sand. This concept of doing. But Curtis, that's, that's all great and wonderful, but you're talking about fruit. So what does doing have to do with fruit? That word is used in the section about fruits. Verse 17. See if you can pick it out. So every tree... So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That word that is translated do, here is translated bear. So think of it as the tree does good fruit. That is the result of the tree. The tree does good fruit. The tree bears good fruit. The whole point that Jesus is getting across here in chapter 7 is that you will recognize the false prophets by their fruit. You will recognize who people follow by their fruit. Jesus then concludes this sermon to talk about the people who actually follow him versus the ones that don't. And I think it would be fair of us to say that those false prophets are the ones that do not follow Jesus. But Jesus isn't done with the fruit motif. Join with me in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33. We see something very similar here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
So we see a connection here, not only with the fruit motif, but the whole reason Jesus is discussing it. If you look back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is directly addressing the scribes and the Pharisees and calling his followers to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Here, it's in direct rebuttal of the Pharisees, and this is right when they were uh, when Jesus healed a demon-oppressed man, and they said that Jesus cast out demons by the power of demons. And he goes right into the fruit concept again when discussing this life of the Pharisees. But the other connection that we see, and it's very interesting, in chapter 7, the healthy or the tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we see an allusion to judgment. Same here in chapter 12. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. In both of these stories, both of these accounts, Jesus discusses knowing something by their fruit and also what happens when their fruit is deemed unworthy. The final one we're going to look at today is in Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, we see this interesting interaction. Again, after uh, Jesus has had uh, an encounter with, um, uh, this is just right after he cleansed the temple. He chased everyone out of the temple. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The point I want to focus on here is less on the faith, but more on the fig tree. When Jesus walked up to the fig tree, what does the text tell us? The text tells us that he was hungry, he saw a fig tree, and he went to it and found nothing but leaves. Matthew, throughout his entire gospel, has an emphasis on fruits. And the emphasis on fruits, I just picked out a couple of those stories today. But then Jesus sees this tree. This tree has leaves. This tree has every sign that it should have fruit on it. And it doesn't. And we see the same account in Mark. And Mark gives a little additional detail on the lack of fruit. Jesus saw this tree. This tree was supposed to have fruit. This tree did not have any fruit. And Jesus caused it to wither. Jesus cast his judgment upon this tree. So as we again look at this tree, um, if we are wanting to build fruit. We can all determine that we want to grow fruit in our lives and bear fruit. And if we follow what Jesus discusses in the Sermon on the Mount, we can build our house on that solid rock, and that solid rock excuse me, will allow us to bear fruit. And so if our tree is not bearing fruit, where do we need to start? We need to step back and take a look. And this is a motif that, that's very uh, it's very common in, in leadership. It's very common in corporate culture aspects. And you step back and you start looking at the trunk. The trunk is how we do things. These are our operating principles. Then we'll take a step up and, and look at the branches. So the trunk is how we do things. The branches are actually what we do. This is our, our culture uh, as an entity, as an individual, and also as a collective. And then finally, we'll look at our fruits. The fruits are the results and the measure of our mission. So we look at, at how we're going to do things. We look at actually what we do, and then we look at the results of that fruit. And it'd be the same in our lives and the same as a collective entity. So in thinking of our fruit, how am I recognized? When we read these stories, we think on an individual basis. Think of our fruit. Think of my fruit. I had an interaction on... Um, 
Friday, Friday night, um, it was, I don't know, 7 o'clock, and I uh, had doorbell rang, and there were a couple young ladies out front who wanted to speak to me uh, on their religion. Uh, and we ended up talking until like 9 o'clock. Uh, Megan was already in bed. We talked for like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, but at one point, they were discussing the fruit of Christians versus the fruit uh, of the followers of their belief. And they were using it almost braggadociously to show the benefits of, of, of believing in their religion contrasted to the religion of Christianity. And I had to admit to these guys and grant to them that when someone uh, wears the title Christian, when someone tells you that they are a Christian, in today's society, especially in our society here in America, uh, it's a crapshoot on the kind of lifestyle that they live. Christianity can... can range anywhere from a devoted 100% all-in following to Jesus or an acknowledgement that, yeah, there is a God, yeah, there is a Jesus. We really can't tell when someone just approaches and says, I am a Christian on the lifestyle that they live. But we can if we look at their fruits. These young ladies were, were professing that those in their lifestyle, those in their religion, you knew that as soon as they used that term, then all of a sudden you could tell what kind of people they were. And that made them a, a more desirable religion to follow. And so we can look at our lives and think on our individual fruits. We can look at our lives and think on our collective fruits. But at the end of the day, we are recognized by our fruits. And as we step back, what fruits have we born? What fruits are we bearing? What fruits are we doing? And when we look at our tree, our individual tree, and we are not happy with the fruits, where do we start? It's not a fruit problem. It's a root problem. As I was looking through that tree, we discussed the trunk a little bit, we discussed the branches a little bit, but we didn't discuss the roots. Anyone who has any familiarity with gardening um, need, knows that you need to take care of the roots. It's foolish for us to look at the trunk, it's foolish for us to look at the branches without understanding what the roots are. So what about the roots? The roots are who we are and why we exist. In Romans chapter 6, um, we're going to tie this all back in uh, into to our lives here as a church. In Romans chapter 6, Paul gives this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful example on, on what we do with dead things. And beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him, uh, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is discussing here what we all know on what happens to dead things. When something dies, we bury it. We have died to sin. Our sinful life is now dead, and we bury it in the waters of baptism. And what rises up out of the waters of baptism is a new creation, something new. He continues on here in verse 11. So that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have put away the former lifestyle. We have died to those sins, and now we have been changed. We have been transformed. Our root has been affected. Paul continues on in Galatians chapter 2, and this is a, a, a song that we generally sing, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. If we look at the Apostle Paul, he embodied what he said in Romans chapter 6 because he viewed it at his baptism, it was no longer him that was living. He was now a new creation. His identity had been shifted to Christ. The roots of Paul, I got my slides out of order, sorry about that. The roots of Paul was Jesus. The roots of Paul were Jesus. As we look collectively, what is our trunk? These are how we do things. These are the way we operate. We have the sign on the, the back wall, loving our Lord, our community, and each other. This is how we're going to go about doing things as a church. And all of us in this church, we're just like a body, right? Paul uses the, the, the illustration of a body where we're all individual members that work together as a collective body to function. We're all individual branches on this tree that's tied into Jesus. And the way that we're doing things is by loving our Lord, loving our community, and each other. So we look at the branches. So that's how we're going to do things. We're going to do it with a loving attitude. The branches, our culture, what do we do? So, so what are we put in action to love our Lord? We gather together on Sunday mornings like this to worship. We gather together to encourage one another. We gather together to edify one another. But we don't only do it on Sundays. We also gather together in smaller groups, whether it's a, a, a ladies' Bible study and a ladies' tea or a Sunday evening small group, or we work together to serve our community uh, by a food pantry. And this is stuff that often we don't really see the immediate benefits of because um, Stacy's the one and Cliff's the one that gets to, to see the real value in the food pantry because they're the one that gets to hand it out. We love our community. We love each other by spending time together, uh, by eating together. The fruits of this. So we're set out on this, this mission to operate under the premise of loving our Lord, loving our, our community, and loving each other. We do that by worshiping our Lord. We do that by encouraging one another. We do that by edifying each other. And then the fruit of it. The fruit of it is loving people. And it's seen with, with smiles on our faces. It's seen with baptism. It's seen with 100-plus uh, kids coming up to Bible camp in the summer. The fruit of it can also be uh, kids running on a bicycle in the parking lot. The fruit of it are kids coming together and wanting to learn about Jesus and wanting to model their lives after the Jesus that their parents serve. We have so many fruits in this congregation, and it's awesome. Uh, the, I was thinking of a list, and I hope to... I'll just embarrass you. Um, some of the fruits that we had in our time here early on, uh, I think the first Sunday we were here, Megan, uh, we got a, a fruity visit from Ted and Marty Fry, who invited us out to lunch. I don't know if you remember that, Marty. Uh, but we went over here to, uh, it's sold now, but we went sat down and had a, a wonderful visit. Other fruits I think of uh, are, are, are uh, Jim and Selena, who we didn't know, um, and Greg and Stacy, who we really didn't know, came up to the hospital in Clovis. That was like an hour away when Coulter was born. Um, those are those are the wonderful fruits. We got a bag over here on the pew um, that Molly Mason gave us when Coulter was born to have his his church stuff. Um, it's supposed to be his quiet church stuff was our, our our intended plan, but sometimes it's more quiet than others. These little things are our fruit in our lives. Um, I jumped too fast. Kenny, sorry, there was a picture of you holding Abby up there, and the the love that the, that this congregation has for each other, the love that this congregation has for random kids off the street uh, who come in, uh, not off the street, uh, but who come in for a vacation Bible school. 
All this is fruit in our congregation to show that our branches are strong, our branches are healthy, and that our trunk is strong. But it comes down to the roots. The roots of why we are here, the way that we function, the reason we function as a church is because of what Jesus has done for us. The, probably the most famous verse in the entire world is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is what this congregation is rooted in. This is why this congregation can have such a strong trunk. This is why this congregation of people can have such strong branches. And this is why this congregation of people here have such beautiful fruit on our tree. And I am so, I, I can't describe the amount of love that I have for this congregation. I can't describe the amount of joy that I have for this congregation. And it's all because we're rooted in Jesus. And that is true for this congregation. In order for it to be true for this congregation, it has to be true for each of us on an individual basis. So I'm going to ask us again, if we have an issue with our fruits, we have an issue with our roots. If there is something in your life that you're struggling with the fruits of your life, come talk to one of us. Cliff's out of town, but we'll be sit. or he's homesick. Jim's out of town. Uh, Greg's in the back. He's the guy who did announcements earlier. Kenny's over here in a blue checkered shirt. Come find me. Come talk. Get plugged in to this wonderful congregation of people who are rooted in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. If there's ways that you can improve your fruits and be, be more fruity, be fruity for Jesus. That sounds like a t-shirt or a bumper slogan, right? Um, uh, but if there's ways that you can get plugged in and get invited, we can graft you into this wonderful congregation, the wonderful works here, and help you become firmly rooted in Jesus as well, because this is all able to happen through him and what he has done for all of us. There's been a song that has been selected, and if there's anything that we can do to help you, please let it be known at this time as we sing this wonderful song together. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.